So from the time that Jesus left Caesarea Philippi, and in Luke it says he turned his face towards Jerusalem, told his disciples what was coming, warned them about what would eventually be his arrest, his crucifixion. So from the time he left Caesarea Philippi, and got all the way to the temple in Jerusalem, Jesus had traveled over 100 miles. Now granted, that last mile and a half, he rode on a donkey, but the rest of it, you know he got his steps in. <laughs> Probably for the year. So during Lent, we've been following Jesus on this journey. As he navigated not only the geography, but also the human condition. In a series that we've called The Ways of Jesus. Not unlike the traffic navigation app. As we follow Jesus, we get the benefit of real-time course correction on our journeys and our lives. We get the benefit of the crowdsourcing of where the potential troubled spots and traffic and obstacles might be so that we can avoid them. And if you haven't checked out waysofjesus.com, the website that we've had running during this whole season of Lent, I highly encourage it. It's got good information there about each stop along the journey. Uh, it's got the Lenten devotionals that have been coming out every day as well as the video of the messages from each of the Sundays. So we went from Caesarea Philippi to Capernaum to Judea and the land beyond the Jordan, to Jericho, to Bethany and Bethphage at the Mount of Olives. And we arrive today in the temple in Jerusalem. Next Sunday, we'll celebrate Easter, the resurrected life. It's also April Fool's Day. It's also the start of spring break. I think it'd be a hilarious April Fool's joke for your family if you load them up like you're headed to spring break on Sunday and just ride in here. Your kids would love it, I promise. <laughs> but you know, before we get to the resurrection day, we'll go this week through some other holy days, like Holy Thursday, which is the day that Jesus shared the Last Supper with his disciples and opened up for them the meaning of that meal as his body and his blood, the sacrifice that he would be making. We'll be observing Holy Thursday in this room, this Thursday at 7 p.m. I hope you'll make plans to be here. And then Good Friday, the day that Jesus was arrested and crucified. And we'll observe Good Friday here twice, once at noon, here in the chapel, led by the youth of the church, but then again at 7.30 in the sanctuary. Roswell United Methodist Church will have a Good Friday service called The Last Seven Words of Jesus. And all of that preparing us, leading us up to Resurrection Sunday, to Easter. You know, it's not uncommon today, though, for churches to celebrate Palm Sunday. I mean, this is the day that we recognize that Jesus arrived into Jerusalem, and, and they celebrated his arrival. There was much fanfare and shouting and singing and the waving of palms because they were excited. They believed that Jesus was arriving into the temple in Jerusalem, into the capital city, to set them free from oppression. That he was coming to vanquish the Romans and establish Israel. 
as God's kingdom in the world. They were looking for a mighty military victory that would change the world forever. That's what they thought they were going to get. Have you ever had an experience like that where you thought something was going to be one way and then it turned out not to be? For me, I have vivid memories as a child and as a teenager of thinking, I cannot wait to be an adult. That is going to be amazing. (laughs) No more school, no more curfews, no more parents to tell me what to do. Adulthood is going to be the best. I'll have a job, so I'll have my own money. I'll get to buy whatever I feel like buying whenever I want to. I'll get to do whatever I want to do with my time. All the adults in here going, mm-hmm. <laughs> All the teenagers going, oh, what? what? What's happening? And then I found out it wasn't that way, right? I, I, I graduated college, got that first job, got that first paycheck with all the taxes taken out. And, and then I had not parents but a boss telling me what my schedule was going to be and what I was going to do with my time and how all of it belonged to him. And then I got married and had children, and I hit a point where I thought, man, I miss being a kid. (laughs) It used to be so good back then, because everything I thought it was going to be, in so many ways, it wasn't. And See, that's what happened for the people of Israel, particularly in Jerusalem, at this time when Jesus arrived into the temple, because they had in their minds what this was going to be, and it wasn't. In fact, when he arrived into Jerusalem, one of the things he did that shook them the most is what I'm going to read for us in just a minute, when he went into the temple and threw a fit and threw a lot of them out. So I want to read for you Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. We're going to put it up on the screen so you can follow along. And this is what it says. They, was talking about Jesus and his disciples. They came into Jerusalem. After entering the temple, he threw out those who were selling and buying there. He pushed over the tables used for currency exchange and the chairs of those who sold doves. He didn't allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He taught them, hasn't it been written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you've turned it into a hideout for crooks. The chief priests and the legal experts heard this and tried to find a way to destroy him. They regarded him as dangerous because the whole crowd was enthralled at his teaching. And when it was evening, Jesus and his disciples went outside the city. Now, maybe you've heard this story before or heard reference to it, Jesus turning over the temple tables or Jesus' anger at driving out the money changers. And and often when you hear it, there's, there's some pretty common interpretations or understanding of this. Like, for instance, that you shouldn't sell things in the church. And so people shouldn't be coming to the church to sell their stuff to other people, setting up tables and, you know, trying to make a buck or profit in the church. You know, another common interpretation is that you shouldn't use the faith to profit, to make money for yourself. So 
you know, go around telling people, I'm a Christian or I'm a Christian businessman or businesswoman so that you can drum up business for yourself and, and make more money. Or another one is that you shouldn't use the church as an opportunity to make yourself more successful as a means to profit or to gain. And, you know, like a pastor who would say, hey, if you'll just give me some money, write me a check or send me some money, we can put our hands together on the screen and, and I will help you make more money. Or you just send in that seed gift of faith and, and you're going to get more back in return. But first, just if you'll write me a check, that'd be great. Or the congregant or church member who, says, who decides, oh, well, we need to go to that church and we need to be members there because if we go there, people will see that. And people will think highly of us. Or actually, there are influential and wealthy and successful people in that church. And so if I go to that church, then maybe they'll want to do business with me. Or I'll be able to be affiliated and associated with them and, and up my stock, so to speak. Those are all common sort of understandings or interpretations of this particular passage. I'd offer this morning that there may be a, a deeper understanding, uh, a more personal meaning to this story even than any of those. But to get that, I mean, you have, to, you have to know a few things about the temple first. So, first of all, the temple was for them, for, for the people of Israel, the temple was the throne of God. I mean, all the way back to Moses and Exodus, the tabernacle of the temple represented the place where God dwelt among God's people. So the temple was the throne of God, the home of God. This was God's presence embodied physically amongst the people. The temple. Now the second thing that's important to know is that the moment when Christ was crucified, one of the amazing things that took place was the veil inside the temple that separated the Holy of Holies. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. That literally was the throne of God. It was the room inside the room. That veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple and the rest of the world was torn in two. And we've come to understand the meaning of that happening, that veil being torn in two, is that no longer is God's presence separated and secluded in a building or in a room away from all the people. That now everyone everywhere, all of us, have access to God. We don't need to make a blood sacrifice in order to have access to God. We don't need to go to a certain place or a certain building to have access, to have a relationship with God. We don't need a high priest to intervene for us and go in there on our behalf in order to represent us to God and God to us. I know that sounds like I might be talking myself out of a job, as I go through that, and I realize that. But there was no longer the need with the veil torn in two for there to be any intermediary, anything in between us and God, for there to be a specific special place or room to go and meet with God. The death of Jesus, the veil being torn in two, embodied that for them and for us down through history. And the third thing, the other thing that's important to know about the temple is that then in the rest of the New Testament, particularly the New Testament authors, Paul and Peter write about the new temple, the new experience 
of the temple, and that they call the temple us. Paul writes, the temple of the Spirit of God is you. Your body is the temple. Peter says it's in you and then among you, God's making each of you into stones that would be built up, living stones built up into a temple where the Spirit of God dwells and where spiritual sacrifices are made. So then we come to understand the temple today is each of us. And so now having some perspective and knowing a few things about the temple, the significance of it, the modern-day expression of the temple, now we go back and read this story again of Jesus arriving into the temple. It says he, he arrived into the temple and looked around and saw that they were buying and selling things, and he threw them out. He threw the people who were buying and selling, who were changing money, out of the temple. He turned over the tables of those who were exchanging money to be used to buy things there. And he turned over the chairs of those who were selling doves. The doves they were selling were for your sacrifice, your blood sacrifice that you would make at the temple as a way to atone for your mistakes, your sins, so that you could then be right with God. I mean, I picture guys in the temple like hot dog vendors at a ball game, just like, you know, a thing around their neck and a big carton of doves, like, get your doves here. Get your doves. Throw in the dove down the aisle with you. I don't know. Maybe not that. But, but you know, and it's also true that the Coke you can buy outside the stadium for a dollar can cost you 11 inside the stadium. And so he saw people who were making a profit, personal gain, off of the faith using the faith to get wealthy, to get rich. He saw people who were outsourcing their sacrifice to the guy with the cheapest prices. Rather than bring their own sacrifice, they just wait till they get there and buy one from whoever had the best deal on doves. He saw a, a, a situation in the temple where people had completely perverted something that was supposed to be holy and sacred and were using it for their own gain. And in response to that, he quotes some Old Testament prophets to them. First, he quotes Isaiah when he says, Don't you know that my house or my father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations? And he's referring back to Isaiah when Isaiah was telling the people that God said, don't worry, I know that things aren't going well right now and they were living under oppression, but there will come a time where God will restore the kingdom of Israel, in fact, restore all nations, all people, and God's house will again be a house for prayer. And not just for them, not just for the Israelites, but a prayer for all nations, for all people everywhere. Specifically, Isaiah names immigrants and eunuchs as examples of just how wide open the doors to God's house will be to welcome any and all to pray. 
And he says, don't you know that's what my father's house is intended to be, but instead what you've done, what you've made it, and he goes back to another Old Testament prophet, Jeremiah, when he says, you've made it a hideout for crooks. And if you go and read in Jeremiah 7, what Jeremiah was telling the people of Israel at that time was, okay, now the temple has been restored, but you know what's going on? You guys are going out during your lives, Monday through Saturday, taking advantage of people, profiting off of other people's loss, disregarding the people, the weakest and the hurt and the people in need around you, worshiping other gods beside your God with the way that you live your lives, and then you're coming into the temple like you can hide here and it'll make it okay. And Jesus got upset at what he had seen, what was happening in the temple. And now if we understand and read the experience of Jesus turning over the tables in the temple, in the light of knowing that the modern day temple is us, then we read this story and we experience Jesus turning over the tables in our hearts. The tables inside you and inside me. We see that Jesus comes And as he's arriving into Jerusalem, into the temple, just in that very same way right now, even today, he's arriving into our lives. And as he arrives and he looks around, there are times where he sees tables that are dedicated to personal gain and profit. There are tables and chairs set up there not to worship God, but to worship ourselves or what we want. And Jesus flips those tables over. And when he flips those tables over, he does it in a way that we look at it and we go, man, he was angry. I mean, there's other, this story's in all four of the Gospels, and in others it talks about him coming with a whip and cracking a whip and driving out all the animals that were being sold for sacrifices, as well as the people. And, and we perceive this anger that really wasn't angry at them. He was angry at the situation, at the condition of what was happening in the temple. I think what we're getting an experience and a taste of in this story is the depth of the emotion that he felt, the sadness in his heart for what was going on in the temple. Because remember, the temple for them was the heart of God. This was where they met with God. This was where God resided in their lives and among them. And it was in that very place. 
in the heart of the place where God lived with them, where he saw these tables and chairs set up, people profiting, outsourcing their faith. And so he turned those tables over. But he turned the tables over to clear the way. To cleanse the way for the life that God had created them for. To clear the way for holiness and wholeness and hope, for righteousness and peace, for them to know life as God intended. And by the way, when he turned those tables over, it said the people in charge, the people who benefited from a system that was set up like that with the tables in the temple, got mad. I'm just looking at them. They got upset because this whole system they had set up to run by which they would benefit and even take advantage of the religious in order to do it, Jesus was flipping it over. And they got so mad. And why did they get mad? Not because they didn't like it or didn't agree with him. Because the message that he was sharing was, with people was captivating. And they were hearing him and believing him. And so they plotted again, how do we get rid of this? Because when Jesus turns those tables over in the modern day temples, in the temples in our hearts, and makes the cleansing, clearing way for righteousness and hope and peace, it will turn over the system that we live in. So what we're setting up today is some tables. Some tables in the temple. I'd like to ask you, if, if Jesus came into the temple of your heart and looked around, is it possible there might be a table set up there that he would want to turn over? To flip over and make way for something good, something right, something holy. If there was a table in the temple that is you, that today Jesus is saying, I need to turn that over, what would you call that? What name would you give? purpose or function would you give to that table? Is it possible that there may be something hurtful or harmful or self-serving 
an attitude or a behavior that you know that Jesus wants to flip. So that the words of Isaiah could be true in you and among us. That my house, my father's house, will be a house of prayer for all nations. If you'd be willing to open up that place in you, that table, whatever its name might be, I'd like to ask you to join me in just a minute in writing that on these tables. We'll have some Sharpies up here as we sing the last song. And what I'm envisioning is that these become collectively our temple tables. That Jesus is ready even now today to flip over, to be rid of, to be done with. So what we're going to do is we're going to sing. The band is going to come in just a second, and we're going to sing one more song. And as we sing, I invite you to come down to one of these tables and just write, if you would write, what that table might be in your life here, and we'll all do that together. That may be a vulnerable place for you. I, I get that. It is for me. And I think that's kind of the point. That's where Jesus is meeting us, even today. Probably some of those money changers and dove vendors were holding tightly to their tables, to their chairs, to their doves, to their money bags. What would it mean for you, for us today, to be willing to let go of our grip on them and let Jesus do what he would do? So I want to ask you if we can make that a prayer right now. That, this would be our prayer for our hearts, the temple that is us, that is you, that is me, that is us together. And for the tables that are set up there that we would be willing to acknowledge them and be open to the work that Jesus will do to turn them over to make the way for something better. God, we are thankful for Jesus that as he came into the temple in Jerusalem, so many thousands of years ago that when he saw something that broke his heart, even in the depth of his emotion and frustration, even anger, that he offered a way to something better, something holy and pure, not just for the temple then, but for the temple now that is us. And so God is we open up ourselves, our minds, our lives to the awareness of the temples, tables that are there and 
the work that Jesus wants to do to turn them over, I ask you to bless our action of just coming forward and writing that on these tables. In doing that, it would be an acknowledgement by us that you are still in the business today of giving a fresh start, new life, taking something broken and making it whole, taking something dirty and making it clean, God, we ask your blessing for this and for all of us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And also, as you come to write on the tables, this is the time that we give back to God. Our tithes, our offerings, if you've brought something to give this morning, or even just as you've been in here, you've thought, I want to be a part of helping make this happen. This is one way that you do it, and the ways that you can give are up on the screen. And I want you to know that there's something going on in your life that you'd like for somebody to pray with you about pray for with you. We have folks by the stained glass windows back here and back here they've got name tags on that say CR Care and they're happy to pray with you as you would like. So I'm asking if you would stand as we sing.